Welcome to the Sharp Angles Betting and DFS Show. My name is Todd Burrows. I am your host, and I'm joined, as always, by my partner, Ryan McChrystal. And we will first go over Ryan's props for the rest of the week and some DFS idea plays that I am looking at early in the week for Daily Fantasy when you consider early ownership. But before we dive into today's episode, we want to remind you that you can get access to all our fantasy content, including insights, props, worksheets, and more, by taking advantage of our fantasy packages available on the Sharp Football website. Right now, we're running a special offer for our listeners, code ANGLES, for 15% off any fantasy package. The 15% discount also extends to every package site-wide. Check it out in the podcast description or use the code ANGLES during checkout on the purchase page of the Sharp Football website. Also, if you could please subscribe and give the thumbs up on our YouTube channel, or if you are watching, uh, if you're watching, or if you listen to us via audio podcast, please like and review the podcast as it really does help us both personally and as a company to deliver great free content weekly. Ryan, welcome to the show. Yeah, excited to dive into these props. I I am as well. And um, I actually, uh, last week, gave the Goff under fantasy points. And uh, thanks to uh, David Montgomery, <laughs> three touchdowns. It, it wasn't really the reasons that I thought I would get it right that happened. But I would be lying if I didn't say that I also knew that it could work out that Montgomery scored the touchdowns, um, especially after what we saw from Jamal Williams last year. You also had a pretty good week with props, didn't you? Yeah, decent week last week, two and two last week. We're off to a good start on the year. I believe it's 12 and six on the year in the props given out in the article it's with with a couple props removed that last week you know joe we gave out the joey bosa prop and they didn't play so we've missed out on a couple that's that's what the risk you run into when talking about them this early in the week but yeah we're off to a good start yeah and people should understand that we are trying you know we do a thursday night show and ryan is always very very open you know hey this isn't out there yet but this is where i would take the prop and we're doing our best to give you uh, good information. So let's get to the rest of the plays that you have this week from your uh, article. The first one is a guy that I have been avoiding in DFS. I was hesitant in uh, best ball. I, I drafted a lot of his backup, um, and, um, and that hasn't been terrible so far. Uh, for a 17th round guy on Chuba Hubbard, but you like the receiving over on Miles Sanders. Why don't you give us a, a look at why? Yeah, so long as this line stays where it has been, I'm going to be on the over on Sanders receptions. It's been two and a half every week so far, and the over is four and oh. Uh, he's barely cleared it a couple times. I think it's two of the weeks it's been three receptions, but he is, he has done it. Hopefully the fact that he's just barely cleared it a few times means that it stays the same because it's not like he's smashing the over. We played this, I believe it was two weeks ago when they played Seattle, and the logic there was that he had he, early on we've seen him get a little bit of action in the passing game, and Seattle doesn't blitz at all. And so that for any running back in the passing game, league-wide running back target share is 20% with no blitz, 12% versus the blitz. So 
in it, like when you got a team like Seattle or like the Lions this week that don't blitz a whole lot, it's a good matchup for someone like this. Lions have the third lowest blitz rate in the league at 16%. Unlikely to change this week because Bryce Young has not seen a lot of blitzes from anybody this year. He's been blitzed at the sixth lowest rate, so probably not a matchup where the Lions would shake things up. We, I think we can trust them to keep that blitz rate low. So given Sanders' pretty consistent usage in the passing game, the, we fa- we, the fact that we think this will be a... Uh, a matchup where they're not going to blitz a whole lot. I, th- I think we go back to Sanders and hope that he can stay undefeated on the over on his receptions. Yep. Just keep an eye on uh, his injury. He does have a bit of a groin. Um, and, um, you know, for my best ball teams, I hope the groin is aggravated late in the week. And uh, But before my friend Ryan bets on it. Um, so uh, let, let's go back to the well with our next pick on a guy we both um, have been pretty high on this year. Um, What is David Montgomery's rush attempt over this week? Yeah, I'm on the over on his rush attempts, which I I think was the one that we gave out for that opening Thursday night game with him as well. Yeah, and we, we were obviously on the right track there, expecting him to be the guy that carried the workload in the run game. And that's that's absolutely been the case in the three games he's played his attempts total was 16 21 and 32 the two lines wins it was 21 and 32 so in this game against the panthers pretty good reason to think with them as 10 point favorites they're going to win and be leading for most of this game we should see an elevated total now i don't i have not seen this line posted yet it's never been above 14 and a half so far so i would be willing to take it all the way up to 17 and a half i think you'll see a pretty strong workload that would be a big jump so i'm pretty i'm pretty confident it's not going to jump by more than you know, three three attempts over what it has been at any point this season. So I, I think we'll probably get it there. Well, like I said, in their two wins, he's had 21 and 32 have been his totals. So, you know, I, it's it's possible it could jump to a point where we don't want to take it just because they've leaned on him so much. But the, the other thing that I wanted to mention here was, you know, I know every single week it seems like on social media people are complaining about Jameer Gibbs not getting more involved. And I just want to say to anybody who's still holding out hope, it's give up. It's not happening. <laughs> Gibbs is a playmaker and he's going to see opportunities in the passing game and he's going to have some some huge fantasy days for that reason. He's not a workhorse running back. I said this leading up to the draft. He's not that guy. Not even in college. Going, he's uh, never I mean, going you, to be that When you don't get red guy. zone work at Alabama, yeah. it's hard to imagine giving it to you in, in as a rookie in the pros. Yeah, it's just never going to happen. And it, you, we can already see why just in these first few games. The, just looking at these two running backs and the, their percentage of carries generating zero or negative yards. David Montgomery, 13% of his carries for zero yards or less. Jameer Gibbs, 26%. So more than one out of every four carries, he's giving you zero yards or worse. So, you know, especially in these games when they're playing with a lead, which, you know, the, the Lions look like they're off, they're off to a great start. It's probably going to be most of their games this season. Gibbs is just not going to see much of a workload r- running the ball. He's still going to be on the field. He's still going to play in the, be involved in the passing game, but they're not going to put him out there when he's the type of running back that, you know, you give him a first and 10 handoff, it could very easily be second and 12. It's going to be second and 12 a handful of times per game. You do that with Montgomery, he's usually going to get you two or three yards at worst. And when you're playing with a lead like the Lions are a lot this season, that's that's always going to be preferable. Yeah. Um, in You know, I, I was uh, 3% Gibbs on FFP. PC, 5% on underdog. I went a little heavier on uh, DraftKings, but mostly 
there was kind of this window for about three, four weeks. And it was right when I was hitting a lot of my draft kings. Uh, you know, what, what ends up happening with these rookies is reality hits about the first or second week of camp. And, you know, and it'll carry through like the first preseason game where you will see w- what, you know, reality is. And sometimes reality is um, a kick in the face. You know, I was, I mean, you and I both talked about this multiple times on my best ball pod. I was not drafting JSN. I was not drafting Addison. You know, um, I like rookie wide receivers, but, you know, I was taking Michael Wilson in the 20th. I was, you know, I was taking these guys who, if they failed, it wouldn't hurt me. Um, But, you know, people have figured out the cheat code with these rookies, but, they, you know, we've seen it now two years in a row where a lot of the early guys end up busting. Um, and it could have been predicted based on, you know, I mean, the I, I said to someone recently, the Lions loved Jamal Williams as a person, as a player. He gave them, what, 18-something touchdowns last year, some ridiculous number. And they couldn't wait to let him go and sign David Montgomery to a big contract. You know, David Montgomery fills a role for them. And even on Matt Harmon's show, Austin Eckler was just talking about, from a running back perspective, all the reasons that he thinks that the Lions um, use David Montgomery. And I'm right there with you. I don't see it changing. Um, And in fact, even the week when Montgomery didn't play, Gibbs had an increased workload, but, you know, he still was just kind of 50-50 with, you know, backs who are terrible. So um, let's get to the next one. Um, a guy that I, I, you know, Joe Burrow, longest completion under. Um, I, I think I know why you're going to say that, you're on the under, but I, I, I don't want to prompt you. I, I, I want to hear your reasonings, and let's see if it's similar to my thoughts on this. Well, the reason, to put it bluntly, is Joe Burrow sucks. <laughs> and I certainly I, don't mean I that. I see I wasn't going to go there. <laughs> I certainly don't mean that long term. I'm still absolutely all in on the Joe Burrow bandwagon long term. But he's injured, and it has turned him into one of the worst downfield passers in the league. On throws 15 or more yards down downfield, Joe Burrow is 2 of 22. That's a 9.9% completion rate. This might shock you, but that's the worst in the league by a very wide margin. The league average is 44%. The only other quarterback below 25% is rookie Bryce Young, who's having his own more understandable rookie struggles this hey, year. Hey, I was on Stroud. <laughs> yeah, I was on Stroud as well. Remember, yeah. we we had that conversation yep. oh, yeah. in our best ball pods. Yep. But, you know... We, we do seem to agree a lot more than we don't, which is very comforting <laughs> yeah. to me because, you know, I'm much newer to watching tape, and I've always thought of myself as really good at running back tape and kind of meh at wide receiver and quarterback. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how you looked at... CJ Stroud and Bryce Young and didn't come away thinking that Stroud was a much better quarterback. Yeah, com- completely agree. Completely on the same page as we've talked about before. But 
you know, just to get back to this this burrow Sorry, conversation, I, it's I, 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 no, yeah, I, no, I, I'm I never, <laughs> I will never shy away from a CJ Stroud conversation. I was very high on him, but for this particular pop, the reason I, I'm on the under, and I, I can't remember if I mentioned it, but it's available at 35 and a half yards, which is actually a little bit higher than I was willing to take it. So I'm excited about it being at that number. You know, he's struggling downfield, which is shocking because we've seen him be really good throwing downfield before. Also shocking because of the weapons that he has, but at, when he's throwing downfield at that distance, according to True Media, 36% of his throws at 15 or more yards downfield have been inaccurate. That's the second highest rate in the league behind Kenny Pickett. You know, Bryce Young, Kenny Pickett, these are the guys you expect to be mentioned in a conversation like this, not Joe Burrow. Clearly, the injury has taken something away from him. And I know he's talked about this week that he's starting to feel better. He feels like he's making progress. But given where he's been these first few weeks as one of the worst quarterbacks in the league, progress doesn't make me feel like he's any like that doesn't mean he's back to being Joe Burrow yet I at this point given how terrible he's been I'm gonna have to see see it over a couple weeks that he's back before I really believe it I'm gonna be betting against the Bengals offense potentially for a couple weeks until he really shows a a positive trend in the right direction because this is just this is just been hideous so far and there's a couple other factors for this prop working in our favor it seems like he might be without t higgins this week he's his most targeted receiver downfield obviously he still has jamar chase but you know losing one of those big weapons hurts and then you know the Bengals are favored by three points in this game against the cardinals so it i would imagine if they get the opportunity to they're going to keep the ball out of burrow's hands as much as possible so if they're playing with the second half lead they're going to shut down that downfield passing game and run and run it as much as possible. So they may not even ask him to throw it downfield. Yeah, and, and last to... week they they started just peppering uh, Jamar Chase with shorter passes. Mm-hmm. So um, it'll be interesting because we'll get to Burrow in my DFS section. Uh, DFS obviously is a lot different than betting um, because you're betting a portion of your money. Uh, you know, looking for a outlier almost result uh so uh i look forward to that conversation when we get there um your your second to last um is josh jacobs longest rush under uh josh jacobs has started to look better uh but um you know we still have not seen his offensive line play very well yeah so this line hasn't been posted yet it's for the monday night game against the packers i'll take the under at 10 and a half or higher he has not had a run longer than that at any point this season but there's a there's a pretty good chance we'll get it higher than that this prop was available at 14 and a half last week we, we played this prop two weeks ago when they went up against the steelers when he actually had his longest run of the year and yet we still won with the under he had a 10 yard run against the steelers and the under was still a winner i stayed away from it last week against the chargers because the Chargers have had some issues in their run defense. I was just a little bit concerned. Obviously, J- Jacob is certainly an explosive, an explosive runner. So going up against a bad defense, I was nervous. But he was, you know, his longest rush in that game was still nine yards, and the prop was available at fourteen and a half. So it was a very easy win for those that took it. So I'm going to start treating this like a, I'm, I'm going to start treating this like a matchup proof prop. I don't think Jacobs uh, is capable of hitting the over with these lines, especially if they're as high as. 14 and a half the way his offensive line is playing and you know he, he's averaging 0.7 yards before contact per attempt that ranks 28th out of 35 qualified running backs as i mentioned he has that one carry of 10 yards that's 1.6 percent of his attempts getting 10 or more yards average across the league is 9.7 percent so jacobs 
arguably one of the, you know, the five to 10 most talented running backs in the league is, you know, dramatically by far the worst running back when it comes to producing these explosive plays so far this season. It's shocking to see, and it's not entirely his fault. It's partially the offensive line, but given the way the season has started, this, this looks like a matchup proof matchup proof prop that we're going to have to go back to week after week. I think I haven't seen anything on Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, clearing the concussion protocol, um, either. So that that's going to be interesting. Um, all right. So let's see, what is the next prop, Sean? Oh yeah. TJ Hawkinson. There we go. TJ Hawkinson, the over, um, yeah, we're back on I, it. I, 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 I'm shocked. I mean, I, uh, who would have seen this coming? Yes, we are back on TJ Hawkinson, even though it was a loser last week. We lost the, we're betting the over on TJ Hawkinson's receptions. Have not seen a line posted for this yet. Most likely it'll be four and a half or five and a half. There's been, it's been four and a half most weeks. There was one week where it was five and a half. We still played it. It was, we still got the win with the over. Last week, I believe it was two receptions that he finished with. So he really didn't even come close to hitting over. But I'm back on it because I think when you look back at why we lost last week, it becomes pretty easy to see that that shouldn't be a concern this week against the Chiefs. So why did we lose this prop last week? First and foremost, the the Panthers played a high rate of two high coverage, 38% of dropbacks, the second lowest rate that the Vikings have seen since Hawkinson arrived. And we talked about this last week as a potential concern that they do like to play too high. They, they, they don't like to play too high safeties as much as most teams. And, you know, Hawkinson, because they use him in the middle of the field, that's not as good a matchup if they're playing a lot of single high coverage. So we acknowledged that that was a concern. We were still willing to play the over. And I think that we probably still could have won if the second factor didn't happen. That's that the Vikings had 44 offensive plays, their fewest since Christian Ponder was their quarterback back in 2013. They were averaging 65. That, that is definitely <laughs> something to ponder. <laughs> that is something to ponder. I mean, that's that's 21 fewer plays than they were averaging entering this game. So we never could have foreseen that coming. So that this just is one of those that I just sort of I just like throw out the result like. We couldn't have predicted them having only 44 offensive plays. The Panthers dominated the time time of possession this game, held the ball over 38 minutes. They just kept the ball in the Vikings' hand. There was I don't think there was any way to predict that, and I don't think there's any reason to think it's going to happen again because it hadn't happened in 10 years to the Vikings. And it's certainly not going to happen this week against the Chiefs, right? I mean, Chiefs games, typically higher-scoring games, you know, you have to throw the ball. You have to be aggressive to beat Kansas City. So, you know, since Mahomes got to Kansas City, opponents have been averaging 65 plays per game against them. So there are going to be a lot more opportunities for Hawkinson in this matchup. Kansas City also uses too high coverage at a much higher rate. 49% of their plays outside the red zone are too high coverage. So we should get more favorable coverages and certainly more possessions and more opportunities for Hawkinson. So we are we are back on this prop so long as it's available at four and a half or five and a half. Awesome. All right, um, that's it for uh, Ryan's props for this week. You can find the article on um, on Sharp Football Analysis. Keep in mind, you can use the code ANGLES for 15% off this week and get uh, all of our information uh, that we put out at Sharp Football Analysis. Yeah, so... Todd, let's jump into the quarterbacks. I know we already mentioned uh, Burrow a bit. Is this uh, 
Where, where do you stand on Burrow this week for DFS yeah, purposes? So, so as this is evolving, I, I want to kind of, because it is so early and, you know, everything is kind of speculative, right? Ownership is not really settled. I've got early ownership I can look at, uh, but I haven't done any deep dives yet. Uh, but right now, um, Jalen Hurts and Anthony Richardson are two guys who are getting uh, a lot of ownership. And Hertz is $8,000. Mahomes now is also at uh, right where Hertz was at 8,200. So that's right now, that's about 31%. And you throw in Richardson, 42% of the DraftKings ownership at quarterback right now is at high price guys, right? Um, I, I, you know, and then Daniel Jones at 5,800 is is coming up really good as far as a value. But boy, with that offensive line, uh, you know, and, and Barkley out, that's not really where I'm looking. So I'm going to throw out, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do at this point. But I will tell you that Josh Dobbs is very interesting to me right now. Uh, playing Cincinnati um, right around 5% ownership at $5,200. He has a rushing floor. He's very unlikely to kill you. Uh, Marquise Brown um, is going to have ownership, uh, but Dobbs isn't. So if you play them together, you get w- one of the higher owned players on the slate at a discount. And um, I think you can play Dobbs without any uh, Ertz is also going to be very highly owned. So you could play all three and have the three very, very low owned. Or you could play Dobbs without either of those guys and hope that he gets you a rushing touchdown or two. The other name I'm going to throw out, boy, I, I friggin' hate, but Zach Wilson. Um, Zach started uh, playing uh, a lot better last week. Denver has been awful. People just aren't going to want to play Zach Wilson right now, about two and a half percent ownership. Um, I'm not saying put 15, 20 percent of your bankroll on Zach Wilson, but, uh, you know, I wouldn't mind being 2x possibly there. Uh, We talked a little bit about uh, Joe Burrow. You know, he has been terrible. Right. But the way DFS works is. So much of the money, it's not like a bet where if you get the bet right, you win the money that you bet, right? You know, if you bet $10, you may win 10 or 12 or depending on, you know, what the the money line is. Um, With DFS, you can win a million dollars for a $20 ticket. And to do that, you have to start taking chances on things that don't look like they're going to happen, but we know have a possibility of happening. So yes, from Ryan's perspective, Joe Burrow is injured. Let's take the under. From my perspective, you know, you can get Joe Burrow now at $6,200 with six and a half, seven percent ownership um, with Jamar Chase, who's going to be the most owned guy on the slate at wide receiver. Uh, according to early rankings, I mean, you stick them together and now you're fighting against far less teams. 
Um, I think Joe Burrow, I, I, you know, I would like the ownership to be more like three, four percent for me to go like 12. But I, you know, with so many people I'm having trouble loving right now, um, he's a guy that I think is interesting. And another and the last name I'll throw out there is CJ Stroud, 2% ownership. You know, he's not going to get ownership because the assumption, you know, what is the assumption? Arthur Smith is going to slow down the game. It's not a great game for DFS. But we've seen how effective he is. And we've seen the wheels starting to come off the Falcons a little bit last week. If that continues, getting C.J. Stroud at low ownership, you can play him with both Dell and Collins, or you can take a chance that the – I forget the really good name of the cornerback um, that they're playing, Ryan. But, uh, you or, you know, Tank Dell uh, – it could be a Tank Dell week if Nico Collins matches up with that A cornerback. Those are my thoughts at, at quarterback. They're ugly, but that's where we're at for right now. Yeah, there's, there's clearly, if you're not playing, you know, the two big names on this slate, you're going dumpster diving a bit. Although you, you mentioned a few reasonable ones. CJ Stroud, Stroud is certainly a reasonable play in that matchup. The, like you mentioned, the risk is that they're slowing it down. But the positive to that is the Falcons don't have a great pass rush, it seems like, this year. And when, when CJ Stroud is given at least two and a half seconds or more without pressure, he's third in the league in yards per attempt. So this, this has the potential to be a very explosive offense. In, if they get into one of these games where he's not being pressured, I, th I think we can expect him to have some some huge outputs in certain matchups where they are able to protect him because that's really been the only the only downfall of their passing game is issues protecting him. The other thing I would say about going back to the Burrow conversation from a DFS perspective, you're right; it's it's a different equation than with betting. I, my my take on the DFS angle with Burrow is you kind of just have to make make a personal choice with burrow because the breakout will come he will get better at some point and he will have big games he's too talented for that not to happen so do you want to wait it out and wait till you see that he's back which i think is a you know a reasonable option to take or do you just continue to play him week after week and hope that when that breakout happens there's he's got a low roster share that week and you can capitalize on that you might have to suffer through some bad weeks still before it happens, but I think that's another path because trying to guess when that breakout is going to happen at this point, given how bad he's looked, I think it's going to be difficult to say. I, th I don't think we're going to be able to predict that necessarily. It's just probably just going to, it's either going to happen very gradually and then, you know, week 10, suddenly he's like, you know, back to full strength or, you know, one of these weeks he just, you know, he doesn't tweak it during the game before or whatnot. And, you know, he feels better and he just has a breakout game. If you want to hope for that to happen, I think it's reasonable to just, you just keep moving along as forward and treat him like he's Joe Burrow and keep well, rostering I, him. I, I think the, the fact that when he starts getting in rhythm, I think they're going to want to, you know, normally Taylor is that guy who takes his foot off the gas when he's got you, right? But I think after how bad they've played, and then you've also got T. Higgins out, so now you've got a tighter uh, distribution, which is something that you look for, and you're going to see ownership on Chase and Boyd this week. But my point is that, you know, Burrow, those guys have ownership, but Burrow really doesn't, Right. So what, what is that saying? What that's saying is that there's great value on these other guys. So now by mixing them together, you really lower the, the people you're playing against. 
And if you get it right, you know, it, but again, you, you go in knowing that, you know, that's the choice every week, good chalk or bad chalk, because, yep. you know, uh, you can over pivot or you could over chalk and, and, and it really changes week to week. Sorry about that. Yeah, no worries. No, that's a good conversation to have. And speaking of good chalk, bad chalk, I know at the running back position, I think there's a guy with a pretty low salary who's likely to have a high roster ship this week that you'll probably want to talk to about. What do you got for us at running back? Well, I mean, this is some of the highest ownership we've seen in an early week so far this year. And there's three guys getting it. One, I, I know you're talking about uh, Devon A. Chan. Um, and he is by clear, clearly the best value. And right now sitting in the, you know, early this morning, he was at mid-30s ownership. That's come down a bit, uh, under 30. Um, so I'll have, you know, originally I was going to say I didn't know what I was going to do with him at at. You know, I still think he could end up in the 30s, though. Joe Mixon, high 20s. Bijan Robinson, mid 20s. I mean, that's where the owner and 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 Alvin Kamara, low 20s. Those four guys are getting a ton of ownership. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do about it yet, uh, but I will throw out a couple of other. You know, I'm, I'm not. I'm going to be way under on Joe Mixon. You know, I I just. We, you know, you talk about Burrow being playing and not looking good. Mixon really hasn't looked good, right? Um, could it happen? I mean, that's just one where if if Joe Mixon has that fifty point week again, you know, I will I will you know do the bull thing and wave and and, and bow and, uh, and and say okay, I missed it. Um, Bijan is interesting, but. You know, I'll throw out a couple names that I'm looking at. One is Jaleel McLaughlin, um, the guy from Denver, um, if Javante Williams is out. They're starting to ramp him up. He 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 looks really good. The issue is if we hear Javante's up, the ownership might go up too. So that's a tough one. But one guy that I really, really would will be interested in if he's healthy. Right now, Raheem Mostert is at 3% ownership, and I love that kind of leverage because we've seen A-Chain, A-Chan, you know, have these amazing weeks, but we've also seen Mostert, you know, right now, uh, Adam Levitan made a tweet today that the five fastest uh, plays from scrimmage are all Dolphins so far this year. And I think it was two for HN, two for Tyreek, one each for Waddle, and one for Mostert. People forget just how explosive Mostert is. And the chance of a 30-point game difference between HN and Mostert is way, way less than a 28 to 3% ownership. And so if Mostert continues to have that low ownership, um, I'm gonna. I am definitely gonna be over on him, Ryan. Um, the other name that I will throw out there um, is Brees Hall. Uh, you know, I know it was coach speak that you know he's not on a pitch count anymore. Uh, but Brees Hall, we all know, has the ability to take plays to the house. He reminds me of the kind of Joe Burrow play where. You know, you know, eventually it's going to happen. So if he stays under 10 percent, 
you know, it's kind of like your props. If he stays under 10%, I, I will have some interest in him. If he gets over 10%, maybe less. But um, a lot more questions than answers uh, on Thursday this week at a lot of these positions for me. Yeah, the, the one you mentioned that jumps out the most to me is Mostert. I really agree with your logic there. I think I think we still don't really know what Achan's role is going to be in this offense because like we've talked about before, being a smaller guy who really relies on speed and getting the ball in open space, this huge output week after week, I just don't think it's going to be sustainable. I think he's going to have some really big duds. And so when his roster share is so high, I, I agree with your take. I think it makes sense to take Mostert instead when there's such a huge gap because, you know, Achan has four rushing touchdowns already. That's just, that's unheard of for someone his size to be scoring on the ground. I mean, he, he does play, you know, one thing I loved about him in his tape, Brian, and I think we talked about this in the best ball pod. He never, he doesn't play small. He is small, but you know, and, and this is one I think we disagreed on during my best ball pod because I saw a guy who put his head down and would move the pile. And it was college players. Uh, but you, I think, had these really good facts about how many plays he got snagged behind the line. So Yeah, I, I don't have those numbers in front of me. But yeah, it was it was close to 30%, I believe, of his carries yeah. where he was getting stopped in the backfield. And so, I mean, I, I, I agree and disagree. There's, there's definitely a power element to his game more so than some running backs his size. But the bottom line right. is he's 5'9", right. 185 pounds. Due to the last running back under 190 pounds to reach double-digit touchdowns in a game, you got to go back to the 1987 Rams. You have any You have any guess? You remember who it was on the 1987 Rams? A former Heisman Trophy winner. 87... Rams Heisman Trophy winner Charles out of USC. White? Yes, correct. Nice, Charles White with the 1987 Rams, and that, that was a ran, am, that was a real random a season of, late in his I career. I am a fountain of useless <laughs> old information. I I I, yeah. I had just gotten it right before you said when you said Heisman. I yeah. think that 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 got it, and then I remembered that Chuck. Yeah, yeah, Chuck, yeah. He was a first round pick of the Browns, kind of a bust, but then had a late career resurgence. It's certainly reasonable to think he may have been over. He was he won uh, he won the Heisman with Marcus Allen blocking for him as a fullback, if my memory serves, because definitely Marcus Allen won someone a Heisman as a fullback, and I think it was Charles White. And then the year, and then and then White graduated, and Marcus Allen won the Heisman as the halfback the following year. That's that sounds about right. I think the time frame would have been right. I want to say White was maybe the '79 Heisman winner. So yeah, um, I am going to right. I'm going to look. But you know, like I like I said, you, these guys don't score touchdowns at a high rate at that. Even if they're tough runners, I mean, I'll throw out a, another couple guys since then who have been under 190 pounds who never reached that threshold. Philip Lindsay, a recent one who had a decent amount of success, but you know, never able to put up huge numbers. Warwick Dunn, Charlie Garner. Well, I think Garner was was over that weight by the end of his career. But those are guys who had good careers. Dunn had a fantastic career, but as a smaller guy, you're not scoring touchdowns in bunches you, because there's probably somebody else on the roster you'd rather give the ball to in those situations. And in the Dolphins case, it's Mostert. I mean, he's not huge, but there is a decent you know, size gap, at least 15 pounds or so between Mostert and Achan. So I, I really and, and don't sometimes think... it's just a matter of numbers, right? And this is something that uh, Jordan Cooper tried to just ram into my head 
you know, DFS is about the percentage chance that something happens versus the percentage the field thinks it's going to happen, right? And right, and it's no different in best ball. You know, I talk all the time about how you know a round or two difference in when you can draft someone. Like I had no Gibbs in the third round, but I took him some in the fourth round. I knew it was still risky in the fourth round, but I, I took the value. Um, so yeah, most dirt this week for that. Going back to our yeah. conversation, oh boy, this is going to be fun. Um, <laughs> list of Heisman winners. In the, so listen to this. 1977, Earl Campbell, all-time great Heisman Trophy. 1978, Billy Sims, all-time great. If it wasn't for his knee injury, he'd be considered one of the top 10 or 12 running backs of all time. Charles White, 1979. 1980, my favorite running back of all time uh, for reasons that if you look on my wall, George Rogers was the uh, the guy, and they, they said that um, in the 1981 draft, there were, I think, 28, 27 GMs at the time would have taken Lawrence Taylor with the first pick, but... The New Orleans Saints and Bum Phillips, who had had Earl Campbell, um, had uh, took George Rogers with the first pick, allowing my favorite player of all time, Mr. Lawrence Taylor, to end up on my Giants. Um, and then Marcus Allen won it the next year. So, I mean, other than – and Herschel Walker won it in 1982. So just a, an epic run of all-time great running backs – with Charles White stuck in the middle, and definitely it was Marcus Allen blocking for him that um, that that won it. So that one was fun. Um, let's move over to wide receiver. Um, I've got uh, Tyreek right now. Let me let me get this. Uh, for some reason, the site I'm using is the the clicks aren't working, so I have to refresh every time I want to change. All right. So yep. Tyreek is still around 15%. Um, you know, at that ownership, I'm going to be very interested in Tyreek Hill. Um, you know, and uh, I'm going to throw one out that is the optimizers are absolutely going to hate playing Jalen Waddle at 7,500. That salary is way higher than it should be based on what Waddle has done this year. But I think we all know that Jalen Waddle has a 40-point game in him. And um, again, back to the discussion of what's the chance someone breaks the slate versus the percent that the field thinks they're going to break the slate. Right now, less than 1% ownership at that high salary on Waddle for good reason. So if he's going to be 2% owned and you want to have 8 or 9%, you've got nice leverage on the field. In that same thought process, while Jalen Hurts has heavy ownership, Devontae Smith um, had, again, the salary is higher than you would like to see. It's 7400 for Devontae Smith. And because of that 3% ownership, we've seen Devontae Smith have some huge games. So if you want to play Hurts and you want to you know, get that 15% down, Add a 3% guy to a 15% quarterback, and basically you're going to be unique just filling out the rest of that roster. I like Devontae Smith. Uh, in the lower range, 
Wandell is uh, of the Robinson of the Giants is is very chalky right now at three thousand. I don't like playing chalky three thousand running back, uh, wide receivers, especially when a team has fifteen options. So I'll throw out Jalen Hyatt, who has no ownership at thirty six hundred. Uh, Hyatt's uh, snap share was the highest of the year last week. The Giants desperately need him to be something because he gives them an element none of the other wide receivers does. And lastly, uh, Ryan, I'm going to throw out Drake London at 4,700 with low ownership. You know, I love talented guys at low salaries with low ownership. Yes, it might not work, but Drake London, you know, is this the week that Ritter plays well? Or is this the week that Ritter continues to play so poorly that even a stubborn idiot like Arthur Smith puts Taylor Heineke in, who we've seen feed wide receivers at a much better rate? Um, I like Drake London at 4,700. Your thoughts on those takes? Yeah, Hyatt jumps out to me as a good one. He's a flyer that I think you can take almost any week as long as the salary is still so low and you know the roster share is still so low because although I don't have I don't think he's going to at any point this year develop into a guy who sees six or seven targets a game well because he's so explosive he could give you just a touchdown reception for 60 yards you know another catch and, and for, you're and you're there yeah yeah he's and capable then if he of has that one or two other catches exactly and he, he will probably do that. He'll probably put up very forgettable numbers for the whole season, but he'll have one or two games where he has a, an explosive play like that. And for DFS purposes, that that's all you need if you've got him on your roster that week. And the other one I really like is London. And I want to throw out you know a, a stack suggestion here, which I, I assume would be pretty low, uh, a, a pretty low number of people putting this together. But we talked about CJ Stroud and Nico Collins. Why not pairing Drake London with that? I could certainly see a scenario where Stroud and Collins connect on a couple scores. They've got a lead, and then late in the game, the Falcons have to throw the ball, and Drake London, you know, catches a few passes late in the game and ends up with a nice score as well. So, you know, that, that's that's probably a stack that's not going to be very popular that I, I could certainly see paying off this week. The the biggest problem with London is that Bijan, and 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 London becomes you know if Bijan's twenty five percent owned, London becomes great leverage on him. Um, I also just want to say that, but the problem has been a lot of the short screen type plays that they gave Drake London last year, they're giving to Bijan. So it's, it's chipped away at London's floor. Um, But that could change at any time. Uh, Drake London, you know, when I watched his tape, what I loved about him is you throw that guy a screen pass and he's looking for contact to knock people over um, I, I, you know, so yeah, I, I, I like that. I, you know, I think we're both in agreement that that's a, that's an interesting play. All right. We're running a little bit long, so let's uh, jump over to tight ends and wrap that up quickly. Yep. Yep. All right. So, uh, I've got Kelsey and Ertz as highest ownership. I mean, I just can't play high owned Zach Ertz, you know, and, and, you know, I just don't see the ceiling there. Um, if he gives you 10, 12, 15 points, yes, you know, but if he gives you five points and you pick another guy in that price point, um, and there's nobody great, but I'll throw out again, I'm on the Dolphins this week. There's so much leverage to be had. Durham Smythe got banged up 
in week three and only got one target. Every other week he's had three, four, seven targets. The Giants are historic, are, uh, you know, just, I mean, the, you know, they're, they're I mean, they're, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm definitely with you on Smythe. I mean, really, yeah. any of the Dolphins' weapons, yeah, I mean, as long uh, the, as the Giants, share isn't too high. The Giants are just historically bad against the tight end over the years. And then I, I'm going to throw out Mark Andrews, right? So if Kelsey is 7,600 with 15% ownership and Mark Andrews is 5,400 and, um, and, 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 and 7, 8% owned, you know, Mark Andrews has not had big games against the Steelers, but the Steelers have not seemed like the Steelers D as much this year. They might be bad this year. Yeah. <laughs> and and so um I, I I like Mark Andrews. And you know, we were talking about those expensive quarterbacks. Right now at seventy eight hundred dollars, Lamar Jackson has one or two percent ownership. I doubt highly that he ends up that low. But if people are really going to put 15% on Mahomes and 15% on Hertz, he could be 3 4% owned. You put him with an 8% owned um, Mark Andrews, and I don't think you need to bring a stealer back. Those are my picks at the tight end position. Uh, give me your thoughts on that, and then I'll get us out of here. Certainly makes sense. I like your logic on Andrews a lot. It's it's early. We don't really know. But like I said, the Steelers might be bad. They got carved up by CJ Stroud in a really bad Texans offensive line. So I think it's reasonable to play Andrews there despite the history. Yep. Yep. And, um, and Durham Smythe has no ownership. Um, and your boy Hawkinson is down around 4% <laughs> ownership. But, you know, I mean, right now, Mark Andrews at 5,500, TJ Hawkinson at 6,500. Give me Mark Andrews for DFS every day in that situation, Ryan. All right. That definitely that's makes sense. That, that's going to do it for this week. Remember, use the code ANGLES for 15% off at the Sharp Football website. Please give us. Um, you know, a, a like and a subscribe, we would really appreciate it. Um, sorry, we didn't get to any of the comments in chat this week, but um, I uh, felt under the weather again today. So uh, that's going to do it for this week. Guys, enjoy the game. And Ryan and I will be back next week to take you through the top and the early DFS.